0: What's going on guys? It's Kyle from you know I got soul.com. I'd like to introduce you to Soulback This is our brand new R&B podcast And right now you're probably wondering What's the difference between this podcast and the last one that you guys did? The honest answer? Not much We're still doing it with me, Ed and Tom So not much has changed there We are going to probably up the experience a little bit Bring you some guests and probably some new features as well but the biggest thing with this rebrand is for you guys to remember us and to be able to share this podcast with your friends and families because I'll be honest with you, when I tell people that I do this podcast called the You Know I Got So-and-so and Serial podcast, they don't even know what to remember or what to type in. So we're going to keep it simple, Soulback Podcast, and we're going to go from there. Now, I know I've talked for a minute and – I know you guys want to get into the R&B stuff, so I'm going to stop talking. Soulstar, give me that beat. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first episode for Soulback. Surprise! We are back. You thought we were gone, but we are back. Kyle here with Tom and Ed. We're bringing Soul back. What's going on, guys?
1: (laughs) What's going on, player? Easy for you to say.
2: Soul back. I like it. Whose idea was this?
0: I don't know. We were just having a conversation on on our chat, and it sort of just birthed itself out. But, man, I got to give a quick shout out to the listeners who uh, thought we had just given up. I've seen so many comments saying, why are you guys leaving? And I was just like, man, it's good to know they don't listen to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Literally today, player, before we hopped on this podcast, someone was like, I am so sad that the podcast is ending. I'm like, oh, man, you didn't listen all the way through the last one. We're here. We're rebranding. It's got, we got some new hotness coming up on this very show. So stay tuned. It's going to be a new day for Soulback.
2: Guys, my mom... My mom texted me and said, why are you quitting the podcast? <laughs> that's the worst. If, if your parents don't even take the time to listen, then who's going to really support? you? That sequester? is hilarious. Jeez, Mom.
0: Hey, I did like not Ed know Miss Leo <laughs> was a fan. Uh, like, like Ed mentioned, we do have a special guest coming to the show later on today. Uh, Kevin Ross will be joining us. Very bright dude, one of our favorites. He's going to be joining us to talk that R&B. But until he gets on the show, we have some business to take care of from our... From our time apart from each other and this whole podcast and I want to get started right now because I know the latter part of this will be insanely long but I want to start off talking about Craig David's new album now Tom you interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and what was he telling you that this album was going to be straight up R&B.
2: Pretty much, he was he. First of all, he was so excited and enthusiastic, and I just loved it, especially about R and B and the direction it's going. He named some younger artists like Kalani, uh, Ella May, who we featured, and um, was just really excited about some of the new producers coming in and that R and is making a big comeback to the mainstream. Obviously, we talk about that all the time. You know, it will remain to be seen the impact, but yeah, he was really excited about making a new R and B album it's comparable to his debut, Born to Do It. Um and Ed, I know you did you you had a chance to listen and review it uh when we did hear it it wasn't quite what we were expecting, but it wasn't it wasn't a bad album no, right it Ed?
1: wasn't bad at all, but I was thrown because I remember reading that interview and he was very excited about saying, you know he's bringing r&b back this is the time, blah blah blah, and I'm listening, and I'm like three four through the album, and I'm like, um I ain't heard a one r&b song yet play where we yet so again it's an album that if you're a fan of his more pop sound and this album has a lot of pop sound has a lot of uk influence a lot of different sounds he does everything well even the more edm sounds that kind of drive me nuts they actually are pretty good on this album but if you were looking for a straight up r&b sound like the live for the moment single that is one of my favorites of the year so far not gonna find too much of that on this album so it's a good project that shows his musical diversity and what he's able to do but if you go in this looking for some straight-up R&B, you're going to come out a little disappointed.
0: See, I went into that project expecting full-on and B. I I think I got to, like, track three, and uh, just like everyone else, Craig David was in Jamaica doing the reggae thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but, hey, I know we have a lot of Craig David fans listening to this podcast and that follow our website. So go check it out and let us know what you think about it. Um let's talk about another album that just came out I think this is the one everyone is waiting for you know our opinion on and that is apparently public enemy number one on the internet right now Justin Timberlake
1: oh my god play oh my gosh
2: now <laughs> now guys but before but let me just say one thing before this album came out I asked you guys is Justin Timberlake the closest thing we have to a Michael Jackson? i have different opinion after listening to the album but go ahead well, kyle
0: see i was trying to figure out how we were going to present our thoughts um about the album to the public at first i wrote up like a 20 page essay and i was going to post it on facebook but everyone else is doing that already so i figured let's save it for <laughs> so let's save it for soul back let's get into the music first ed you reviewed the album what did you think
1: <sighs> I, I, uh, you can. You guys have to excuse me For the amount of size that I'm going to be doing As we talk about JT Because I got a whole lot to say But right now I will save my thoughts And Kyle, you can come back to me later For my usual podcast rant So for right now I'll just stick to the actual music And get my fuss on later on The album, if you listen to Some of the internet critics out there And these first take folks And Some quote-unquote respectable sites are giving this album like a 1 out of 5 and a 3 out of 10 and a 0 out I'm like, what are y'all hearing? If Again, let's take it back to Craig David. If you go into this album expecting the R&B sound of a Justify, you're in the wrong place because you're not going to hear that at all. On the flip side, if you go into this expecting some country album, as was everyone kind of expected kind of jump to conclusions, think that we were going to get, you're not going to get that either. Instead, what this is, is a pop album with country-influenced elements. Just as those earlier Justin Timberlake albums were, essentially pop songs with R&B elements, kind of doing the same thing with that. And for what they are, a lot of the songs are decent. Now, if you heard Filthy and you heard Supplies, and they made you want to vomit all over your keyboard The good news is you can get that out your system because nothing's worse than those two songs. You heard the first, the worst up first. So the rest is just kind of almost monotonous, kind of go nowhere country songs. Well, pop songs with country influences. So what's here is not bad, but what's here is not spectacular. And with JT, as Tom just said when he was asking if this is the new MJ, we kind of hold these artists to a higher standard. And what we got just isn't the standard of what we know that he can produce. So if somebody tells you it's the worst album to ever crawl from the sewers, no, it's not. But we expect more from an artist of his level. And I think that's where the disappointment comes in.
0: Tom, what did you think?
2: <clears throat> well, first of all, um I didn't think it was a bad album. It's just like one of those you're gonna to have to listen to. I feel like it doesn't really sound like something we're used to. So it's got to At first, it might sound funny. I think eventually we'll get used to it and it'll sound different. But I just don't feel like this is the album he should have made at this point in his career. Like if he was really interested in taking on that legacy and being one of the, you know, the top artists we recognize. I just don't know who wanted to hear this music from him at this current time. Like, what type of fan base there is for this sound. And I think that's the problem with it. Not saying think it's bad. It's just, you know, to me, it's just like a missed opportunity, basically. Just because he's innovated, I felt like, on every other album that he's put out. And I was hoping for more of that. And I just didn't get it this time around. Once again, just because something, you know, is not for you doesn't mean it's horrible. That's one point I want to make to these critics and these Facebook critics. <laughs> so um yeah this one isn't for yeah, me
1: actually a couple of great points tom just made and i want y'all to actually listen to if it's not as a reviewer i review a lot of stuff that personally will never make it to my playlist because it's not the type of music that i like but i can recognize good music even if it's something i don't prefer so when i was listening to this album and listening to songs like flannel and stuff like that well, i'll never listen to that stuff While I'm running at the gym or while I'm driving to work. But I recognize the elements of it that takes it to make it a decent song. So I celebrate that. And I think that's what you have to realize. It might not be for you, but that doesn't mean it's the worst thing ever created in history. So that's something to keep in mind. And also, like Tom said, it's a little disappointing that an artist who has continued to revolutionize a sound. As we always have kind of expected from the most recent Double Dope, the um, 2020 Experience albums, and even especially the album Future Sex Love Sounds, he was able to take his sound and evolve it and take it in new places. And this time, he didn't do that. And I think that's part of where the disappointment comes in.
0: Well, I want to say first off... um... Flana was definitely not a record that you should be listening to at the gym. But Ed, I heard you um, listening to Flana while you were outside chopping wood in Alabama.
1: Um, if you if you saw me outside chopping wood, I think you went by the wrong place. You're in Canada, then don't you guys do that on a Saturday anyway with your um, flapjacks and your maple syrup? <laughs> Calm
0: down. But um, in terms of the album, I think I have a different um, outlook on the album than you guys do. I think. First of all, the album is not bad. I want to put that out there. And I think as a biased Neptunes fan, like I am, I think they did some pretty decent work on the album. It was definitely refreshing to hear their work with Justin as opposed to the Timbaland Justin uh, thing that we've seen over the last decade. There is a fundamental difference between the two collaborations. Um, But I think the biggest problem with the album is it's missing a hit record or mm-hmm. a couple of hit records, it has a lot of good songs on there. I mean, I can name a bunch off the top of my head. I was just listening to Breeze on the Pond uh, earlier in the day, and man, that record is that—that's amazing. And Higher is another great one. But even those two songs, I don't look at those as hit records. I just look at those as good songs that I'll listen to you know, every once in a while. But there was not that one song that kept me coming back. And I think that was the issue with this album. I think the sound of the album and what he was trying to do, I admire the fact that he tried doing something that he wanted to do. And I think if anyone was going to be able to fuse country and R&B and pop together, Justin was that guy. But it just didn't work out, I think, the way that it should have. I think marketing definitely had a huge part of that because everyone... This was going to be a country album and when they heard heard the first two singles and it was nothing like that I think it kind of threw people off a little bit but man like the album it definitely does not deserve the hate that it is getting on the internet. I think a lot of that is because of Justin Timberlake and who he is and Ed. I'm going to give it to you because I know you have a lot to say. Is Justin Timberlake a culture vulture and does he deserve all this hate?
1: Oh, my gosh. As, as always, I know this is the first episode of Soul Back, but the game ain't changed. Please direct all of the hate tweets that will come for this next five-minute rant to E.T. Bowser on Twitter. Because don't get my boys into this one. This is all me. First of all, I need y'all to understand what a culture vulture is. A culture vulture is an artist who takes from a culture and continues to live off of it, thrive off of it. Make money off of it without giving back. It's appropriating a culture. We've heard this term tied to Justin. We've heard it tied to Bruno Mars. And we've heard it tied to Miley Cyrus. By my definition, Miley's a cultural vulture. And I will tell you why. Miley used the trap sound, the twerk sound, to build something. And then when her next album came around, she was like, oh, well, I've moved beyond that. I don't want to do that no more. She used it as a gimmick to sell something. Justin and Bruno, you might not like Justin right now because of Janet. And I'll fuss about that in a minute. But Bruno and Justin have both said that these are influences in their lives. They have gone. They have gone to celebrate those who came before them. They have gone to contribute to the sound of it. They have gone to push the sound forward as far as R&B. And they've given credit when it's due. And they, and Justin, I have read and seen many of the interviews where Justin has said, this is a culture that has influenced me. I want to get back to it. Doesn't mean he's perfect because he's screwed up all over the place. But the point is he has given credit when it's due. He has given it back and he hasn't appropriated it. He has not used it as a gimmick. He is, he is built upon it. And when we're at a time where R&B has seen better days, Because some of our favorite artists out here slinging in the streets and pretending to trap and twerk, he is one of the artists who has continued to keep the sound somewhat fresh, for better or worse. But that's a different conversation. Now, when we talk about the Janet-ish situation that Kyle kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, I know we're a few minutes, as of recording, we're a few minutes out before the Super Bowl. And I know that the hashtag Janet Appreciation Day is flying and the think pieces are all over the place. Listen, players, listen to your boy. <sighs> when it comes to the Janet Justin situation, I understand that Justin is in the wrong. He has benefited from white privilege. However, the narrative that we've seen with Janet being the person, that, well, put it like this if you were read some of the Think Peace narratives out there, it would have been in 2004. My boy Janet, my boy Justin, my girl Janet on stage, Justin ripped her clothes off naked, and she stood there naked while he laughed and giggled and became the biggest star in the world while she faded into obscurity. Player, do not give me that. Because if you were there in 2004 and you saw that nipple, you saw a 24-inch spinner hanging off of that thing. That thing was ready to be debuted to the world. What we're forgetting is this whole situation was a publicity stunt, y'all, and it was a publicity stunt that went wrong. Unfortunately, Janet and Justin were in the wrong and it is wrong that Janet has received the level of backlash that she got so that my boy Justin has contributed to white privilege. That's wrong. But to pretend that Janet is clearly innocent in this thing is wrong, too, because she got what she deserved. That was a poorly done publicity stunt. And I need y'all to have the same vitriol for Justin for doing something terrible that you do for your girl. It's not fair on both ends. Oh, everybody just chill out. It's also funny to me, players, that it seems like everybody, this happened in 2004. Reflect, because a brother's getting old now. Remind brother. Future Says Love Sound dropped in 2006. 2020 Experience dropped like 2012. Part 2 dropped 2013. We didn't start seeing this backlash until, like, last year when you think pieces reminded me of it, and now we hate Justin. If y'all are having a Janet Appreciation Day, and you ain't bought a Janet CD since 1997, but you got every Justin CD sitting on your stereo right now, that's not appreciating. You appreciate Janet by going to that concert, which I went to last year. It was good. Buy her material. Buy her new stuff. And stop running around on Facebook fussing and ranting. Give music or give the music that we love a chance and support it. So support Janet, not by hashtags. Support her by helping out her projects that come out. And as far as the hate for Justin, y'all can ride that wave if you want to, but we'll find somebody else to hate on next week. All right, I'm done.
0: Wow. Tom, actually, I think we need to give Ed some more ammunition. Please remind... Uh everyone out there who produced this new Justin Timberlake album because he's such a culture vulture. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You mean Timberlake yeah. in the <laughs> <laughs> How come they're not getting any hate? <laughs> oh, God. Oh,
2: no. Why? Don't do it. Give Ed a minute to uh, breathe over there. Water. <laughs>
1: Oh, I need some water. That's what I'm saying, though, players. I feel like that we are demonizing, and don't get me wrong, because everybody's going to be like, oh, he's defending the white guy. I defend no one, because at the end of the day, that 2004 thing was stupid, and everybody was wrong. But the point is, at this point in 2018, we have decided that one person was completely right, and one person was completely wrong when they were both wrong, and now we're giving them the culture vulture terms, when all of your favorite black artists are gladly working with them, why aren't we giving them the same level of credit? It's all hypocrisy. And at the end of the day, the main people are hating are still the ones selling me that filthy rocks. So, where y'all
2: at? Ed, as they say, the internet remains undefeated. Uh, so don't even bother. Yeah.
1: Well, just chill out my mentions, homie. That's all I'm saying.
0: Tom, didn't you see some... Uh, <laughs> Can I ask you one? Tom, didn't you see some funny headlines on the internet about the Justin Timberlake album?
2: <laughs> You're cra- This one... I'm still cracking up about this one. Someone said on... The, I think it was on our Facebook page when we asked if, about the album. Someone wrote, Justin should have left this album in the <laughs> woods. <laughs> you know, a playoff of the, the title, Man, Man of the Woods. So, I mean, that's a little harsh. But, but Kyle... Seriously, though, um, <clears throat> did he really need Timbaland and, and Pharrell or the Neptunes for, you know, for this album? I, I don't even feel like they were utilized to the extent we thought they would be, like the, the type of sound they would have brought to this project.
0: No, I'm 100% with you. I don't think... If he was going to do a full-on country album, definitely you did not need Timbaland and the Neptunes on it. For what he was trying to do, I think it was interesting and... With them all being the innovators that they are, it should have worked, but it, for some reason, didn't. And I read something very interesting on a forum, on the Neptunes forum, and they said something like, you know, outside of this Neptunes forum, who the hell is this uh, music moving? The hip-hop crowd ain't effing with it. The country crowd ain't uh, effing with it. It's not moving the pop charts. And the 15- to 25-year-old demographic ain't effing with it. This is old Burnout, Remember the Good Old Days music. That's actually a pretty fair assessment.
1: Um, I question that because I think that if you look at what it could have been, that is, we can say that now in hindsight. We can say, oh, this is this didn't work. But if you think about what it could have been, I think it could have worked. And I keep going back to this, and everybody knows I've been running this comparison in the ground. But one of my favorite albums that no one seems to have ever heard is Bubba Sparks' sophomore album. Completely produced by Timberland. Completely merges to hip-hop and country sound. That's what I thought we were going to get. And we sort of got it. But it's like he didn't commit all the way. And I think if they went all the way with it, this would have been a way to present and evolve with a different sound. And it just ended up being too safe. And that's why it didn't work. So I think it could have worked. But it just didn't commit all the way. And that's why we got songs like the the Filthy and the Supplies. It kind of just kind of takes the current sound and kind of rides that a little bit. And then the country stuff where it's almost country, but just kind of old school Taylor Swift pop. And it didn't go all the way. It just felt like he didn't commit. So it could have worked. But I to say it's just old school, stodgy, wouldn't have worked at all. Eh, I don't agree. Could have.
0: Well, all I know is, uh, initially Tom was not a fan of the song Filthy, but the other day he listened to it on full blast, and I think, Tom, you like the song now.
2: If you listen to it at the right volume level, it actually sounds pretty decent. But you know what? I'll say this. It's just one of those catchy club banger type songs. If you listen to it loud enough, and if you're in the right mood, then yeah, it's going to be a little catchy. But to me, that's not what music should be just about i mean that's how we end up with songs that aren't timeless and they're just for the exactly. moment i still don't really like the song i mean the song is a banger i still don't like it but you know i had my headphones on i was blasting it and i was like okay this is okay but <laughs> at first i thought it was horrendous so it upgraded a little yeah, it's bit it's still Next.
1: trash to me you played it loud enough that it cooled your brain cells but whatever it's garbage to me dog
0: Ed, you gotta calm down <laughs> um, well, i want to get into up. I want to get into our first Play-A-Please award, and this one is very, very interesting. This one is, surprise, surprise, TLC gets our first Play-A-Please award. Ed, do you want to tell them why they get the play of please award? (laughs) Well, I have
1: ran it enough. I want you to tell them why, and then I'll tell you. First, set the stage, and then I'll tell them why they need the award. Because it's hilarious to me.
0: TLC um, has obviously been touring for the last year or so to support their album that came out, and they were in Australia doing a gig, and they had to cancel the show because of computer difficulties, and I'm reading the, the, the article here, and it says a spokesperson told the crowd, we have had a full computer meltdown tonight, and unfortunately, TLC cannot sing because they can't sing without their computers. (laughs) <laughs> wait a minute I should not laugh but
1: this is hilarious to me so Ed why do they get they, the player please award player now listen I know there are going to be many artists in my in my mentions again etbowser.com etbowser on twitter because y'all are just going to be living there this week but I know that losing a backing track is a very big deal But when we're talking about two veteran artists who have been performing longer than half of our listenership has been alive, If you can't improvise, if a brother can't go out into the back of the truck and get an old um, Crazy Sexy Cool CD and throw in and y'all sing over that. If your whole vocal presentation is re-recorded Transformer stuff, player, y'all got to give it up. We got to move forward. If we want an experience, if I am a big fan of TLC, as you know, as the classic sound, I want to hear them. I don't want to hear robo sounds. And unfortunately, with the computers gone, they can't T-pain their way through the tracks anymore. It's sad, player.
0: Now, this is going to be exciting. Uh, We had mentioned it earlier, hinted at it, but we actually have a special guest in the house right now. We're going to try to treat you guys with some guests, some key players in R&B today that have definitely brought soul back. And I have one that has done that. Tom, who's our special guest today?
2: Man, I'm really excited to introduce this special guest. This is an artist we've been supporting over the past few years. I can easily say one of our favorite new artists that come into R&B in many years. Such a talented vocalist, musician, performer. He released his debut last year, The Awakening, which we had been waiting on. We named it one of our top albums of the year. Um, His his single, Don't Go, was one of our favorite songs of the year last year. Long Song Away was a huge hit. And, man, everything this guy comes out with, we're just in love with. So... Really glad to have Kevin Ross here to join the podcast.
3: Wow. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you uh, for the big shout out as far as for uh, the top, what was it, top 10 albums, the top 20 albums of uh, 2017. Like, that was really, really awesome. And thank you guys for all of your support, Um, you know, really, really early on as far as before I had any kind of record out, so thank you guys
0: absolutely now Kevin we have to ask you before we get into anything else we have this theory on this podcast that your single don't go that you put out that uh, we were that we were responsible <laughs> yeah. for you making it a single can you confirm that <laughs> oh my gosh listen to this guy
3: um you you guys were definitely an influence um honestly actually like the whole awakening project was done maybe three years prior to its release and um It was just about timing and it was about you know me coming into myself so you know when i had seen it on you guys blogs it's like kind of like an editor's pick i was like oh man it just gave me enough reassurance to you know go inside of uh, the company and say hey you know i think that we should really roll with this for you know the second single we're getting a really great response so yeah you guys are definitely um you you have a share Within making this you know making that record possible
0: absolutely absolutely so um I want to start off the podcast by talking about some sad news Leah LaBelle, of course, she passed away
3: last yeah. like, a couple of days yeah. ago um well to to start off with uh, me and me and Leah went to Berkeley oh, wow. together. um she came in maybe a year after me, and um you know we were able to uh, we were in a small group uh, called overjoyed, which consisted of maybe like Ten to twelve uh, students from Berkeley, so we were able to go to Switzerland together. I think twice. So um, I think that group of uh, creatives, musicians, and, and singers, we really got a chance to to bond and to spend a lot of time with each other during that time frame. Now, in the years to come after we graduated, you know, she had went on to um, you know ink a deal with Brian Michael Cox and Jermaine Dupree and Pharrell Williams, and I had seen her maybe one time after that before she had um she had passed but you know like everybody uh, has been saying unanimously you know her, her spirit has always been beautiful um her talent was undeniable she had this um she had this hunger and this fire inside of her and you know the the biggest thing for me is I knew how close she was to her mom and so um you know that's really the first person that I thought about was um you know, and, and, to, and to pray for is for her mom's strength and knowing that, you know, her daughter um, has spent her time here on earth uh, doing good and inspiring others because she's definitely influenced a lot of people that she's touched and that's come across. So, yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a very uh, sad situation, but definitely she's been promoted to heaven and she's amongst uh, the greats in the choir.
0: Absolutely. Appreciate that story. Hey, Ed, um, I know you saw a lot of potential in Leah LaBelle early on. Um, Talk about what you saw in her.
1: I think um, if you go back and a lot of our listeners may know Leah from the American Idol days. And that's always a great platform. But what really drew me in was later on when she was doing some stuff with Eric Benet. And then when she had her single Sexify, I remember when that dropped. That was one of my favorite songs of... 2012, 2013, whenever that was. But she had a richness to her voice that I think was pretty underrated. And I think that in a in an era where we kind of see a lot of R&B artists looking for mainstream appeal and kind of drifting into the pop lane, and sometimes it's not a good fit at all for the vocal tone, I thought she was one of those artists that was versatile and could deliver those soul riching delivery and her vocals and her lyrics, but also have some fun too with singles like Lolita and things like that. She really to me was one of those artists that could have been a total package, but unfortunately we just didn't see her have the opportunity to go all the way. Like we really knew she had. I think there was tons of potential there that just didn't get realized. And it's it's heartbreaking and from a selfish perspective point of view from a fan we wish we could have gotten more music from her but like kevin said when you think about her family and you think about the loss there it's kind of even more heartbreaking
0: absolutely so rest in peace to leah labelle as well as rasul butler he played in the nba for a long time so a Mm -hmm. devastating loss to the industry Um, and she will definitely be missed i want to go into another topic here which was the grammys that happened last week tom i'm sorry but music Soulchild child didn't win a grammy
2: <laughs> kevin uh if you're not familiar with the podcast they give me a hard time every week about music soul child because i'm a supporter of his and uh i guess yeah. a bigger supporter than that than them two oh, are please. so <laughs> they give me a hard time but <laughs> i predicted that I, I pretty much predicted all five r&b categories how they'd play out um yeah. pretty much I thought Bruno Mars would clean up. I, I just think the Grammys, you know, politics is involved sometimes as we've talked about, but uh personally I didn't I didn't think there were any surprises. Uh you know, what did you guys think?
1: Uh, This is the first year in a long time that I did not check out the Grammy. So everything I saw was kind of secondhand. But, of course, the R&B categories, most of those don't get televised anyway, which is a heartbreaker. But like you said, nothing was that surprising. I know from my own personal opinions, I didn't think that Bruno would rack up as much as he did. I thought they would kind of shift things up a little bit. But they let the man run loose, and he did. And I can't hate on the project. I've supported it here, there, and everywhere. So some of those cases i mean they're pretty deserved so it's what we got it's kind of not that surprising but hey maybe next year we'll actually get some of this stuff televised
3: yeah i'm, I'm kind of in the same boat with that as far as i i watched the the grammys kind of after more so yeah. the highlights and not the whole thing i haven't watched the grammys in a very long time um I mean, of course, I attended a couple, but just as far as from a fan's perspective, I think once uh, you get inside of the industry, you know that there's a lot of politics involved. And I'm not saying that in a negative way um, at all. I I try to remain as neutral as possible. But the one thing that I can say as far as with Bruno Mars sweeping the Grammys is that he made an R&B album, you know, whether people... Um, would like to dispute that or not, you know, he's definitely given credit and definitely have, has given salutes to everyone and, uh, who's inspired this album. And so I think that he's really kind of uh, cracked open a door for the potential possibility for, you know, artists uh, to, to really, uh, I, I, I'll say crossover, over, but to, to become even more visible in a way that we haven't been visible before.
0: It's interesting with the charts, I mean, Long Song Away, even A Song of Yours, that was number one on the Urban AC charts for many, many weeks, and yet there were a lot of songs that didn't even get nominated, which surprised me, but like you said, I think Bruno Mars has opened up the doors for R&B, but I don't know, I mean, what do you think this will do for the genre, do you think this was a win for R&B? Because for a lot of people, they don't look I, at him as an R&B artist, but he is making R&B music.
3: Absolutely, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't. I don't look at him as as anything but a creative. Um, I don't like it when other artists try to put each other into boxes to say, you know, he can't do an R&B uh, record because he's not an R&B artist. It's like no, we're artists to begin with. So whatever I paint or whatever I choose to paint. Um, that's on me, whether I want to create a jazz album or whether I want to create a folk album. I'm an artist, and so it's a part of my duty and responsibility to do the research, to um, to glean from, you know, prior history. And I think that he did a great job of gleaning, um, of doing research, of really being a fan of the genre. So whether or not people agree of, of, of he's an R&B artist or a pop artist, he's an artist nonetheless, and he has the absolute right... To create whatever he wants, and I think that he executed it quite well in his own way, in his own take. And I think that that we're going to really reap the benefits from that. And honestly, in this game, it's all in what you make it. You know, you can't sit there and wait for anybody to do something for you. Um, you have to figure out ways to become visible. And you know, there's different ways to skin a chicken, as uh, one of my friends would say. So you know, we just have to we have to we have to find those ways. But the door is open.
2: Kevin, I want to get your take on something related to that, because we often debate about how this Bruno Mars album would impact the R&B genre, and we often talk about how hip-hop has become way bigger than R&B, and now hip-hop is influencing most of the R&B sounds that are coming out, especially with younger artists. So do you feel like an artist like a Bruno Mars can still um, inspire a younger generation to follow that sound, or is it just futile and now that hip-hop is so big everyone's gonna just be going in that direction with the trap sound and all that
3: oh no 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 i think he is influencing the next generation i mean i've come across so many kids who are inspired by bruno mars and um you know artists that i like him um that it it brings me hope you know the 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 tenacity and the audaciousness of the next generation it will be it will be surprising to a lot of us as far as what they're cooking, what they're brewing up, what they're working on. And I think that it's a far uh, derivative from this kind of hip-hop dominant culture. And there's nothing wrong with it because we know what hip-hop has derived from. It derived from us. It derived from soul and R&B. So there's still a heart within it. I think that um, within R&B, there has kind of been this um, a very lax mentality as far as pertaining to the content. Um, we have to be able to be competitive with hip hop artists. I'm not saying to put out an album every month, but what I'm saying is, is that we have to we have to put more wood into into the furnace in order to uh, become that much more visible. It's hard for R and B artists to beat out an artist that puts out three. P- three projects in a year, regardless of whether or not my project within one year is, you know, holds more weight. The fact is this person gets three more looks more than me with, you know, throughout the year. And so with that being said, um, it leaves those lanes open, you know, to be filled with people who are constantly there.
0: Ed, I'm going to bring it over to you because I feel like this era for Bruno has been It hasn't been anything that I've witnessed, I think, since... Two instances come to mind. One being Mm -hmm. Usher's Confessions era, and the second one being Justin Timberlake's Future Sex era. Do you think Mm -hmm. that this era has been as big as the other two? It's a different Uh, time. You have to remember that.
1: Yeah, and that's what makes it tough. It's a different time, and I think time will tell. There's been a lot of discussion about whether this album is the new classic, and is this the album that's going to shift the tide and we can say that looking back at Confessions because we knew where music was then and we saw how that kind of crunk sound took over in 2003, 4, 5 and then we can look back at Future Sex and we can see how that EDM sound took over in 2007, 8, 9 and even now but this album has only been out a little over a year I think it has the potential to be as influential as those are, those albums but it's still a little too soon to say. Like Kevin said, I think that a lot of younger artists and fans are being inspired by this throwback sound. And I think that we'll see a lot of it incorporated going forward. But we'll have to see how 2018 brings. If we start hearing a lot of those elements being brought back into music, cool. If it's September and everybody's still trapping, then maybe not. So we just (laughs) got to look and see.
3: I mean and let's and let's be honest here, as far as with hip hop is concerned, these rap guys they really want to sing, they really want to sing, you know, and they use a lot of their 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 voice, their dynamics, the colors, you know um a lot more now you can hear on on a lot of records I mean if you think about goosebumps and what you know Kendrick does in his verse and how he he's so dynamic and how he uses his voice is, is, it is like he's an instrument. And so we have to give credit to those that do try, um, that do really create a a beautiful picture with their voice. They may not be, of course, the traditional singer. And of course the lines are blurred and they're skewed now. We don't, you know, sometimes artists may come out, we don't know if they're a singer or they're a rapper, you know? Um, But (laughs) nonetheless, I think that it's more singing being done and and that we can honestly say that within this industry that is very melody driven. And so that has never changed. Regardless of what's on the bottom and what the beat is, it's still something that people need to sing to. You know, there's very few songs that are out that have came out in the past year or so where the hook was just rapping. I mean, the biggest record we could think of is probably Bodak Yellow, you know, where it was just straight rap. And we had to appreciate it because it was like, okay, how many songs can a rapper sing? (laughs) You know what I mean? On a hook without you thinking, dang, you know who would sound good on this some r&b artists or whatever the case may be but um you know i think we're in a we're in an age where being self-contained and not needing people that has contributed to you know the lack of collaboration between hip-hop and r&b artists as well
0: now i want to quickly flip this the script a little bit and i have some sad news for everyone here if you guys Mm -hmm. don't know best buy will be discontinuing uh cds in their store so they will no longer be selling cds i think that's Pretty devastating for people especially from our generation. Kevin, how does that news hit you? Are you still are you still buying CDs? I don't think it's devastating (laughs) at all. I I mean honestly
3: I, I don't think it's devastating at all. I mean who really I mean, who goes to Best Buy for anything? I mean if I got Amazon or Target or Walmart, I think my biggest concern as far as pertaining to music is cool. We understand that there is a a physical market that needs to be satisfied, but that physical market is getting older. We're getting older. And so with that being said, for for me uh, personally, I don't go to Best Buy. I don't go to Best Buy for anything. If I need something, you know, there's Amazon. Like I said, I can order it offline. It just, it's less of a hassle. Now, as far as me listening to uh, CDs, I mean, you know, even an even a, a, a iMac or your laptop, it doesn't have, we don't have a choice now. So I usually just, you know, download and, and stream or use Apple Music or Spotify or, you know, whatever the case may be to consume my music. But I don't really feel like it does any damage. I think if anything, it kind of does damage in a, in a nostalgic form as far as that's like when, uh, <laughs> you know, when when the tides change as far as uh, gamers are concerned. You know, we grew up on Sega Genesis and, you know, Super NES, you know, and then here comes PlayStation, Xbox and Xbox One and, and 360 and all of it, you know. So with that being said, I don't think I'll miss Best Buy as far as uh, create. oh, I'm sorry, putting out records. You know, I, I think that, that that tide has kind of, Gone, <laughs> and so uh, you know, as long as Walmart and, and Target and, and kind of the main distributors of kind of everyday shopping, if as long as they're still within the physical game, we'll be okay.
2: Uh, Kevin, let me get your take on this because this is what I was thinking when I heard this news. Mm-hmm. You know, labels use—I um, almost feel like labels use that as a form of promotion, like having a CD on the shelf. You know, you get you get people walking in stores they see that okay so that's recognition that an album is out so I'm wondering you know as someone who's on a major you know Motown like how are labels or in your opinion are they going to shift their promotional strategy not that that's a big part anymore but you know are they going to do things differently maybe it's all digital now the way they market these projects how do you see that
3: I think labels need to step their game up because they're honestly behind the curve you know in a lot of ways just the fact that they are using a very traditional, a.k.a. old guard kind of mindset, mentality, and formula, it hurts them, and it hurts their bottom line. Um, and it, it really uh, it lowers their return on investment. If you put millions of dollars into an artist, um, let's just say, you know, if, if this artist is, um, you know, going into Urban AC or something like that, whatever, um, and you put this money behind an artist, to go into Urban AC, you have to understand the game and the nature of the business. Urban AC is a more physical, tangible game. So, you know, when you have a song and you go on tour, you're, you're shaking hands and kissing babies with these people because they come to see you. These are people that are invested inside of, you know, legends and classic people of 30 to 40 years. So with that being said, you have to prepare for the physical aspect. You know, I think that a lot of times you know, you'll see artists come out and say, hey, you know, check out my new single, you know, and make sure that you follow me at X, Y, and Z. And it's like, but for that format, it's not as, um, it's not as effective, you know, as it would be if you were an urban or rhythmic or, you know, top 40 where everyone in the audience has, you know, a platform, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it, musically, whatever. And so I think that there, that, In general, the music industry is behind the curve and they're scared of that because the independent artists are definitely uh, running things (laughs) as far as the the possession of power just because of the internet and just because of there's so many ways to become visible positively and negatively. But regardless... um, there's, there's so many ways that we could look at success, and now we know that success is based on perspective and not an actual fact, as, as far as to say, if you do X, Y, and Z, and you win these awards and you chart on blah, 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 then you have become a successful artist. I think with every artist and with every businessman, you have to figure out what success means to you, what happiness means for you. So within this shift, I think that the music industry needs to change their perspective of what a win is to them, how much they invest inside of an artist, not only monetarily, but as far as uh, the time that they put into making sure that they become visible. It's, It's unfair within a game where you find these young children that, Um, They put in all of the work, all of the groundwork to create the buzz for themselves. And then they sell themselves short because they sign away their rights to someone that doesn't know what to do and maybe don't see the vision for them. Um, So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a very tricky game as far as that's concerned. But, yeah, I feel like they they got to step the game up and they definitely need to revolutionize how they think and bring new players in.
0: Uh, absolutely, um, you know. But speaking of nostalgia, Ed, you're from the world of nostalgia. I know you have like a huge CD collection in your back. Um, so I think one at a time here. Let's start with you, Ed. What was the first? Well, what's the first CD that comes to mind that you know you remember listening and loving, or maybe one that just you love to this day that oh, you actually man. bought. The first CD that I bought. First
1: of all, let me go back to Kevin's point about um, Best Buy before I forget it because. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I needed and going back to the gamer point a brother was about was playing my, my PS4 and I had no more room so I had to go cop a hard drive. I go down to my local Best Buy and guess what? It's closed. I'm tripping. So Damn. unfortunately <laughs> I should have seen this Best Buy thing coming down the road. But anyway, like you were saying Kyle, I'm a huge collector and whenever I can I like to cop the physical media so if it's a Miguel CD or Kevin Ross CD or whomever, if I like it, I I want that CD and I'll download it of course and and support. But it's just something about the album art and having all that stuff. And the one that hits me in my earliest memory is Method Man's Takal album. And I don't know if you remember how that album looks, but it looks really mm. smoky. Can't even really see what's going on. Just a little meth symbol over in the corner. I guess it's like him smoked out because of course it's meth. And that's probably the first CD that I remember maybe it might be the first CD I ever owned, but it definitely is one of the first one or two that I listened to to death where the back got all not. it's not even shiny on the back you look at it straight dull because I listened to that album that much so a lot of nostalgia comes with this and I understand in 2018 uh, things have to shift but I'm an old head and I'm going to miss my CDs <laughs>
0: What about you, Kevin? What was the first CD you remember actually going out to the store and buying?
3: <laughs> uh, my first CD was Capital Songs. <laughs> yes. By, uh, Big pun. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had, a, I had a huge fascination with. Uh, <laughs> with hip-hop growing up, you know, I was, I was, I grew up in the 90s, you know what I mean? So that was really, really big, you know, Diddy and how he was, like, killing it, and then Big Punk came out, and I just love that flair, that, that, like, that aggression, you know, it was just super dope, super dope. I shouldn't have been listening to it at all, (laughs) I was too young. I'm surprised someone even allowed for me to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) It exposed me to a whole new world of, like, you know how to articulate as an artist and to do it in such a like savvy you know he 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 had a very like cool way of you know going about how he rapped which drew me in and you know I would say that effortless about,
0: effortless flow yeah what about R&B album
3: yeah. yeah first R&B album that I purchased had to have been uh I'm a, I'm gonna say it was Michael Jackson's Off the Wall oddly enough um, I was looking for Thriller, and this is when they still had cassettes, and you know cassettes were super cheap because you know CDs were, you know, kicking in at that point. And I had gotten the Off the Wall cassette, and uh, I played that thing out, you know, and, and I felt like um, I was I was growing up with Mike as I was listening to the collection. You know, it was a narrative, it was a story there, and that was really the first R and B artist that. I fell in love with and then as i got older then it was it was stevie wonder from then on out
0: (laughs) nice what about you tom what was your first r&b album that you bought i
2: i can't remember the first but and by the way man kevin i love big pun he's one of my top five of all time love capital punishment (laughs) (laughs) album (laughs) um but uh i just i'm just gonna go back to one i remember playing over and over again and that was 112's room 112 album it still was one of my all-time favorites just remember going out and buying that one in the late 90s and you know having that in my car cd player nonstop. but uh yeah i still i still collect cds though i mean just as like a more of like a collector's piece than anything even vinyl too but i don't even have honestly i don't even have a cd player in the house so it's just for collection
0: wow see i'm a little younger than you guys but and I came up around that Napster era But I did remember going out and buying Brandy's Full Moon album So that's my That's one of my first hey. ones And I was like man <laughs> I love this album But um, I want to go back to Michael Jackson For a quick second Because Ed I know you did a You ranked all of the Michael Jackson albums
1: I sure did I just did that
0: Can you uh, And maybe Kevin Ross you can pit You can you can chime in on this But what was your top five Because I think number one and two I I, I kind of disagree with but what what was your top five ed
1: okay just real quick i'm gonna run through them because i know the the argument is always off the wall or thriller those are always the arguments between the tops i went with thriller because i feel like when you look at the overarching influence on not only music but on videos on, on culture on black culture i think that thriller just eclipses every other album ever created in history But if we're looking at content, it's super close. So Thriller number one, Off the Wall number two. I went with number three, Dangerous, which I think is very, very, very underrated for what it is. One of the best New Jack Swing albums of the era. Number four, I did Bad. And number five, I did Got to Be There. This is his real debut album. A lot of people Hmm. think that the first joint was (laughs) Off the Wall. Nope. The first joint was when the dude was like 12. That album is so underrated. So, got to be there is my number 5.
3: Mm. I like that. I like that. I honestly I can agree with definitely, you know, Thriller being number 1, Off the Wall being number 2. Now, my number 3 is is got to it, it got to go in between Bad and Dangerous for the simple fact that like like you said, I think Sonically Dangerous was just like Incredible. out of this world and it really showed the 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 full potential like the the zenith and the peak of Teddy Riley as far as mm-hmm. production. We really got like the whole enchilada in Dangerous which I thought was really, really dope. Um I think I was more so affected by bad so I'm gonna do bad as number three just because you know we got those stadium anthems. You know, you finally got to see a black superhero in a stadium all across the world to see how influential that was because you know he didn't tour on thriller he toured on bad you know what i mean and um so you know i just for that number three then dangerous number four and uh, in, uh, invincible five invincible yeah mm. i know that is
0: You know what? This podcast would go on for six hours if I had to explain to you guys why Off the Wall should be number one. But I'm going to give you guys Thriller. That one's fine. (laughs) But, you know, I know we're all busy with the Super Bowl coming up. So, Kevin, uh, talk to me a little bit about some of the projects that you just released. I know you released two last year. What else do you have coming up and just anything that you might be working on right now?
3: Uh, I'm, I'm working on my next project, a full length. I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, the working title is called Audacity. And uh, this time, I'm, I'm working with just one to two producers. Mainly, uh, there's a guy by the name of Sproul from out of North Carolina. He's incredibly uh, talented. We've actually worked before on records like Dream and on Be Great and um, what else? Cruise from uh, the latest EP Drive. So we've done a lot of records together. And uh, I just called him one day, and I was just like, man, we just need to do a whole project. And it really became a natural thing, and and, uh, I'm really loving the sounds that we're exploring, um, how honest this record is. So I'm I'm super hyped. And to to be honest, you know, I'm really all about content. You know, I want to be able to, you know, create and execute And go out on the road and touch the people to see how they respond to certain records. Because you just never know until you start seeing people face to face. But yeah, at this current moment, I'm working on uh, Audacity. So stay tuned. The main goal is to get it out this year. I don't know when. (laughs) But the main goal is to get it out at least by this year. Um, but we are well underway, you know, at least 75% done with Absolutely. it.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to that. And, and just out of curiosity, at what point in the recording process does the label come into play and, you know, checks out everything that you do?
3: Um, I, since the beginning, they've given me a lot of free reign. Um, I think early on they had more influence over what they thought should go to radio and what they thought that I should be doing. And I think after a while uh, they realized that uh, what was true for me was what was true for me. (laughs) You know, whether that music had uh, belonged in Urban AC or Urban or whatever, wherever it was supposed to fall, it was going to fall. And once they understood that I was okay with wherever I was going to land, um, they trusted me within the process, so once I think once uh, the awakening came out, they were definitely you know kind of hands off to say okay you know, cool you could you know you could do whatever you want to do. So when Drive came about, that was a really quick release as far as I you know created the project and told them what I wanted to do, I did the shoot and then um, you know submitted it in and they were just like all right cool <laughs> and you know that was that. So I think that um, it's no pressure. And honestly, you know, with every artist, I, I just I, I would advise them to trust your instinct, trust your gut. You know, no matter what anybody says, you because know, at the end of the day, you know, you have to you have to respect the creative process. And um, you know, if anything, after that, once everything is kind of done and once the, the dust clears, then you know, people can come in with their opinions. But always remember, you know, to you know, take it for a full grain of salt. And, and for those that you actually do trust. Um, you know, to, to actually listen and, and take it in. But if you if you're completely happy with it, you know, go forth and, and kick butt.
0: <laughs> Dope. So just to wrap things up with you, Kevin. You know, on, on our website, not only do we love music, we also love food. So just out of curiosity, when you're on the when you're on the road, you're on tour. What's one thing on your rider that you have to have that you know might be normal or it might just be like the most ridiculous thing? Is there anything on your list?
3: I don't know if it's normal, and I don't know if it's ridiculous, but I got to have honey because uh, I drink honey, like, raw, as far as when I'm on tour, because it's, like, a natural antiseptic, so, like, if I feel like my voice is inflamed, like, I always, like, take a shot of honey, um, you know, before the show, after the show, you know, just for recovery, so that's, like, that's a must, like, before food or chips or whatever, like, it got to be a bottle of honey there. Before so anything.
1: just straight honey not like any tea or anything just like straight up goo
3: nah just <laughs> just just straight yeah straight goo and then <laughs> then you know then you know some some water but like that's that's pretty much it that's all i need on
2: my rider for real wow but what is your uh what, what is your drink of choice if you had if you had one one bottle in your in your room oh
3: man <laughs> uh here we go uh I I would have to have two, and I can only drink these like if I got an off day or whatever, but a French Connection, Hennessy and Grand Marnier. I'm a brown guy. Nice. And uh, it really helps me to, you know, calm down and really like settle my thoughts. So, yeah, Hennessy and Uh, Grand Marnier.
0: That's crazy. Dope. Well, hey, hey, Kevin, (laughs) I appreciate you uh, for joining us on our podcast. We're going to have to definitely do this again, maybe play some PS4 and drink some honey. If that works for you. (laughs) But really, we do appreciate you and we wish you the best of luck with everything that's to come. You're more than welcome to join us again and uh, we look forward to hearing from you.
3: Indeed, I appreciate it, guys.
0: Thanks so much, Kevin. All right. right. So, Tom, I'm going to pass it over to you. So, we had the first installment of the Play a Please Award earlier. In the podcast, we're going to go into the Soul Back track of the day. So this is the throwback track of the day. Soul Back, get it. Um, so what is the Soul Back track of the day?
2: I got a, I got the perfect song. <clears throat> so what many people don't know is Static Major from the group play. It has a song called Soul Back. I'm not picking Soul Back, but I'm just going with that theme. So the song I'm actually going to go with is play a Cheers to You, their, their hit single, of course. Um, but especially it's important because not only did me and Kyle meet because of Static Major originally, believe it or not. We'll share that story someday. But it's coming up on his 10-year anniversary of his passing. So I think it's it's a good time to uh, you know give him a memory. And, uh, of course, Cheers to You, timeless song. Every R&B fan knows that song. Many people still love it, so want to shout that one out
0: one of my favorite songs of all time absolutely great song that timbaland production that was that early timbaland production it was pretty much like a one in a million but like revamped type of sound and man i love it still to this day and speaking of static we actually just uploaded an interview that we did with Devontae swing of see like back in 2010 and everyone was like, wow, this is the rarest thing ever. Devonte never does um, interviews. So I think that was pretty cool. So you guys definitely need to check that out. Ed, um, what's going on uh, on com? I know we had mentioned well, with, with Kevin the Michael Jackson rankings. Uh, what else is going on?
1: Yeah, we've got, if you missed that, we went through MJ's entire catalog, solo catalog, and of course, if you don't know, that extends much beyond... Um, what we heard from off the wall. So he's got four or five or six albums well beyond that, well into the early 70s. So I Co and I look at all those albums from 1971 or two, going all the way up to 2001, just revisiting the greatness that is Michael Jackson. And of course, we already talked a little bit earlier about some of the reviews that we had. Craig David, if you missed that. Go see what I thought about Craig. And go see what I thought about Justin Timberlake. So you can get more ammunition to want to see me dead in the streets. But two albums that weren't nearly as bad as some of the critics said. Justin and Craig. Go check them out.
0: Tom, oh, and you know what? I totally forgot about it. I promise we'll talk about it on the next podcast. And it just came up to mind now. Because, Tom, you interviewed Rough Ends, right? They put out an album.
2: I did. We, we haven't... Uh put out the interview yet but i had a that was a good time interviewing rough ends that was our first time interviewing them and we've been at this for over eight and a half years and i know we've talked about how they've kind of been off the radar so we'll talk more about the album next time around but uh look out for that interview coming up this week uh other than that uh we don't have too too much to go actually i have an interview coming up with uh uh tim kelly from tim and bob the producer uh that will be this week as well So we haven't interviewed him either, so that will be another first time. Looking forward to that. He's responsible, of course, for many hits, uh, a lot with uh, Bobby V, of course, John B's uh, biggest hit. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. Absolutely. So that concludes the first Soulback episode. I, I want to give another quick shout out to Kevin Ross for joining us on this podcast I promise you we're going to have more guests come around on this podcast let me know what you think if, if you like the guests if you don't like the guests let us know what your thoughts are because this podcast is definitely just for you guys this is all about R&B and we want to keep this genre going so let us know your thoughts but until then this is Kyle that's Tom and that's Ed and we're going to say peace
1: and I'm going to go get my voice back because
0: y'all wore me out today
1: (laughs) Janet Jackson we love you